People come to the San Francisco Bay Area for many reasons, a spectacular natural setting, a sophisticated lifestyle, and unique professional opportunities. Those seeking these qualities will find all that and more at Hacienda, where you can work, live, and grow. A Hacienda location means having the best of everything within easy reach. Whether it's world-class restaurants, theaters, and museums, the best learning institutions in the country, or some of the finest services available. That particularly applies to businesses wanting the best address to have easy access to needed resources, being among the industry leaders, and knowing that you are part of a region that leads the world in innovation. The result, an unbeatable combination that leads to success, and that is what you will find at Hacienda. Find out more by visiting Hacienda on the web at hacienda.org. Since the start of COVID, the mortgage industry has been on a tear. Once it picked up from a couple of months of relative quiet. But the tide may be turning now, and Thomas Yoon, the CEO of Accelerate Capital, will tell us how things are going in this very dynamic part of the industry. Thomas is an entrepreneur, so he's seen his share of ups and downs in this space. But it is his entrepreneurial spirit and outlook on life and business that is now taking him to invest in new companies while maintaining his focus on the industry in which he has been successful so far. Welcome to the pod, Thomas. Thomas, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Vlad. I'm great. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. It's our, it's our pleasure. Uh, where do we find you? You know, I started these questions, where do we find you? Because we, we kicked off the podcast when COVID was still around, but I'm wondering now if it's still sort of a, you know, a relevant question, but, but I'll, I'll ask it anyway, right? Where, where are you? Are you, are you at the office working from the home office? We are, I am working here at the corporate office in Newport Beach, California, um, sitting in my office right now. Um, we actually worked the entire time during COVID in the office. We, okay. we did a hybrid, but you know, we left the office open for senior leadership to come in. Great, great. And do you have operable windows? Because that would certainly make things a lot easier. Yes, <laughs> especially with <laughs> with your weather with your weather in Newport Beach. That's that's not too hard. Uh, you know, I'm lucky. I have the corner office, and I I get a a look out into the Newport Beach uh, back bay as there my backdrop. So you know, I'm, you I'm really fortunate. Excellent. Well, Thomas, um, by way of introduction. Um, Tell us a little bit about yourself, your company, and sort of you know how your uh, you know winding road of your career kind of got you to where you are today. Sure, uh, my name is Thomas Yoon. I am a career mortgage banker. I am the president and CEO of Accelerate Capital. Accelerate Capital is a nationwide mortgage banking platform um, that specializes in in non QM loans. Uh, we are licensed in 47 states. Um, we are the largest front-end originator in the non-QM sector. Um, I got into the industry, like a lot of mortgage people, by accident. Um, you know, I was uh, graduated from UCLA, and I was uh, majored in political science, and I was set to be on course to try to pursue law. And... Uh, a high school buddy of mine introduced me to the industry as kind of a, a summer part-time filler job. Um, I had a real knack for selling. 
um, and the rest is history. And here, here I am, twenty years into the business. Right. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. And you mentioned uh, non-QM loans. So, just for the benefit of our audience, uh, if you wouldn't mind, you know, describing kind of what category of lending that is, and sort of sure. where, where where does it sort of sit in the kind of bigger puzzle, if you will, of the of the mortgage industry. So non-QM loan is an industry term, uh, so it's not a consumer term. Um, Your standard conventional financing that you can go get at any bank is considered, is called qualified mortgages in our industry, which is Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, Jenny Mae, all the loans that everyone's very familiar with. Non-QM loans are loans that fall outside of the conservatorship of the government and those three agencies. And they tend to be uh, the jumbo products, jumbo loan products, jumbo loan amounts. And our specialty, which is called non-QM, it's actually tagged as non-QM. And it's basically creative lending uh, outside of those uh, standard parameters of underwrites that allows uh, self-employed borrowers uh, financing options uh, by ways of bank statements or uh, profit and loss, and, and so forth. Great. And how long uh, have you been at the helm of uh, this company? When when was it founded? And maybe you know, tell us a little bit about some of the major milestones of the organization. Sure. Uh, the company was founded uh, the back end of 2014. Um, uh, Mike Thompson, the chairman, and I uh, felt early on that this sector, non-QM sector, would be a growing segment within our industry. Yeah. And we, and we launched a company in the back end of 2014 um, as a non-QM platform. Um, before non-QM really came into vogue, non-QM started to really take on national prominence right around 2016. So we are truly one of the early adopters of the space. Um during our rise, we're a true startup company with, um, with no outside capital formed uh, or, or raised, I mean. And uh, we've taken it literally brick by brick, uh, made a dollar out of 15 cents. And, okay. and eventually over time, we became, we've become the largest uh, front-end originator in non-QM in the country. Excellent. So that is, that, yeah. that, is, uh, that is our statistical milestone that, that you know, is readily available to everyone in the industry. Um, our milestones internally are, you know, really kind of the vision that we had about how to build a company and, and trying to cultivate, cultivate a certain culture that was very inclusive. And those milestones are continuing all the time, right? Uh, it's ebbing and flowing as we speak, but um, uh, we're, we're really proud of where, we're at, where, where we are right now as a company. Yeah, and you guys participate uh, in all the markets around the country. Um, uh, how many offices do you have? How many employees around the country? We have currently right now uh, a little over 400 employees. Okay. Uh, we're lending out in 47 states. Um, we have brick-and-mortar offices, mostly on the West Coast, but we do have a, a brick-and-mortar out in Hawaii, Northern California, throughout Southern California, Um we have brick and mortar out in Texas. Uh, we're, I think brick and mortar, we're probably about, I should know this by heart, but I think it's about 10 states. 
Okay. <laughs> uh, and then and then we lend we lend out through the forty seven. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great, 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 great. So um, let me kind of uh, tap into your expertise of the industry just a little bit. Um, you know, I, I would love to get a sort of perspective on kind of where the market is today. Yeah. Um, so obviously, sounds like you kind of entered in twenty fourteen when you know things were you know, looking, you know, very different, uh, you know, things were, you know, on the upswing, right? I mean, a lot of sort of positive kind of, you know, tailwinds, if if you will, uh, in the in the industry, but then COVID hit and things went sort of topsy-turvy for a while, but, you know, it seems like mortgages overall performed well at all, a lot of refinancing, home buying, you know, left and right seems to have kind of really mm-hmm. picked up during, during, during the pandemic. Tell us a little bit about you know is that is that perception of the industry over the last couple of years accurate, and then sort of where where are we today here in you know kind of the beginning of Q two of twenty twenty two? Sure. So the black swan event of of COVID hitting our country in March uh, really halted the business temporarily, and because the whole economy stopped at one point, no one really knew what was going to happen, and. Um, you know, the federal government decided to, to drop the Fed funds rate and open up the ability to buy mortgage collaterals in scale. And that spurred a, a gigantic refi boom. We had one of the biggest refi booms in the last 20 years in 2020 and 21. So okay. our, our industry was in, uh, in, in boom time. And most companies did very, very well during that time. Fast forwarding in to this year, 2022, we are officially in the the process of going into a different cycle in the mortgage industry. Mortgage okay. industry is is very cyclical. You have your boom time, and then you have your compressed time. Uh, you know, one thing is inevitable: is rates will rise and fall, right? Yeah. And in a rising rate market. Um, and with the current global economics playing out, a war out in Europe, uh, inflations, uh, our inflation skyrocketing, it's causing a lot of turbulence in the financial markets. Um, so we are officially in the winter season of our industry, and everyone is recalibrating and reassessing their model to make sure that they could do well in, in, in a compressed margin market. Now, this is, um, is this also based on, uh, you know, because of uh, the supply of funds is maybe drying up? Is it just for, is it just based on, you know, interest rates, um, uncertainty in the market, all, all of the above? Uh, what all, are some of the biggest drivers of that? The, the biggest drivers, well, we're, we're in a unique situation in time because we have several things playing out in at all at once. We have inflation that we're trying to cur- curve. Um, we have interest rates that have, have to rise, right? But we can't rise at the rate that we want to because we're worried about the greater supply chain issues globally. Right. Um, you know, exacerbated by COVID. Now, on top of that, now we have to worry about supply chains even more with the war out in, in Russia and in Ukraine. Yeah. Um so, you know, all those things happening at once creates great, great instability in the financial markets. Um, and that's causing uh, a, a great margin compression. What does margin compression mean? It basically means when uh, we 
we fund a loan and we try to sell the loan or try to uh, create a transaction in the loan, um, we're, we're not getting the same price that we historically would get right now. Um, those are dwindling down more and more. And so it's causing um, companies to, to readjust under these circumstances. So we're seeing uh, gigantic layoffs uh, in our industry right now, which is okay. typically pretty common when, when the market shifts. Uh, when, when the refi boom was happening, we needed to hire as an industry tons of people, right, to create the service levels. Yeah. And when the market compresses, then obviously you have to size back down to, uh, to be able to run the business in, in the current market environment. Yeah. Yeah. And you're yeah. beginning to see some of these signs where companies are reducing staffs, exposure to the industry overall. This is already beginning to happen. Yeah, it's happening in scale, and and it's uh, no one is uh, immune to it. It's happening across the industry. Yeah, are you noticing any parts of the country maybe doing better than others? So, I mean, you know, we're here on the West Coast, where you know there are attractive markets in terms of you know job growth and you know wage growth and just the quality of living, you know, and that kind of stuff. Um, you know, continues to sort of drive um, home prices, right? And yeah. the demand for you know housing is that different from, let's say, you know, you know the Midwest, you know the you know mountain states, and you know elsewhere. Um, are, are are you noticing pockets where maybe these trends that you're identifying are are, are not as you know pronounced quite yet as as they might be in some other places? Um, yes. So historically, there are certain states that are deemed real estate states. So California is one, New York is another, Texas, for an example, where historically uh, it's going to run higher than the, the average medium in the United States. Um, uh, so here in, in Southern California, where we reside, uh, our company, the market is still really hot. It's a supply and demand game. Right. We don't have enough inventory um, to to offset, uh, <laughs> to offset the market. So that's yeah. why we continue to see uh, prices uh, soar, right, in, in terms of sales price and, and equity being built inside the houses, simply because the, there's more, more uh, buyers than, than inventory available. And that tends to be the case right now is uh, if you just kind of looked at the national averages, um, that tends to be the case that there's a supply and demand issue. Are you noticing on the sort of home acquisition side, on the, on the mortgages that are sort of coming through your pipeline, and, and maybe just in general, um, is the demographic beginning to shift? Are we seeing more, you know, you know, millennials and even Gen Zs uh, kind of getting into the market? Um, how is how is that evolving? Sure. Well, what's really exciting in, in this current uh, market right now is. We have the largest demographic patch in recorded U.S. history, the millennials, that are now of age to buy homes. So first-time homebuyer market is going to be pretty robust in the coming years because the the millennial generation is all uh, reaching into their early 30s and settling down and looking to, to buy a home. Yeah. So the purchase market and first-time home buyers is going to be moved by the the millennial generation. So um, 
pretty exciting to see. And, and it's a market that, you know, as lenders, everyone is targeting under. Um, so, yeah, we're seeing the uh, the new generation uh, of people coming into the home buying market space. Yeah. Have you had to think about new products for this demographic is 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 that evolving and you know what about even your firm you know specifically you know the people that you know you're you're sort of you know hiring i'm kind of thinking of those you know discover card commercials where it's like the same person's on the phone as as sort of help on the other line as the person that's talking they're sort of trying to you know to kind of communicate you know we speak your language we're sort of you know your your age demographic right Right. Has has that, you know, given you thought about, you know, as a as a business sort of, you know, person, you know, how your company and the industry should evolve as well? Yeah, yeah. Let me try to answer that in two parts. Um, more than creating product bases, which we are in non-QM, um, we've been one of the innovators in this space. We've uh, launched, uh, in a, we launched product bases that are now the staple of of our sector. Or, and we've helped iterate in that sector a lot. Um, Non-QM is typically geared for self-employed borrowers. 75% of all the non-QM borrowers are self-employed. Right. And in, in, the, in the millennial generation, gig economy generation, uh, self-employed 1099 is a lot more prevalent than it has been with, let's say, Gen X or the baby boomers. So non-QM in many ways fulfills some of these voids uh, of the current demographic of jobs available for the, for the younger generation. Right. Yeah, I'm saying younger because yeah. it, so non-QM is, is providing that. I think um, where the, where the industry is really headed is the industry is headed to uh, advancing in FinTech simply because uh, the great financial crash of 2008 was largely spurred uh, because of the real estate industry and the mortgage industry. My, my thesis is that uh, silicon technology didn't deploy in our industry because we were considered the black sheep at that right. time. Right. So, uh, you know, our, our technology foundation has been um, – really antiquated if you compare us to other major industries in the United States. But what's happening and, and now... you're saying as, a and as, a, as an industry, not just specifically with your company, right? Yeah, as, as an industry, right. So we're very aged in our technology gap. and But in the last uh, several years, there's been a real strong push to integrate modern technology into the industry. So if I really try to forecast out five, seven, ten years, uh, fintech is going to be a dramatic disruptor in a good way uh, into the mortgage industry. And it's, it is very important simply because uh, the millennial generation and, and younger are native to tech. <clears throat> so the kind of uh, touch points and flow process of, of a mortgage application will become more and more um, integrated and automated through fintech. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, and let's shift gears there a little bit because, um, you know, when you and I spoke the other day, um, one of the things that you brought up was, you know, your involvement with some of this innovation too, right? Right. Um, 
tell us a little bit about that kind of you know where where have you you know looked to you know expand not necessarily as a as a, as a company but but as an entrepreneur you you've invested in some businesses you sit on some boards and kind of you know tell us where where that's taking you right and and what what have been the major drivers behind that sure when i look at uh, first I, I have to look at it within my bread and butter business which is mortgage when I look at the mortgage industry, I, I recognize that fintech, uh, like it or not, is going to come in scale at some point, uh, some point during my career, and it will change the way uh, our business will be ran. And because of that, I wanted to uh, dive into into that sector more and be ahead of the game as much as possible. And during that exploration of, of learning and growing, uh, we formed, uh, Mike and I formed uh, a fintech company. A fintech company is backed by AI technology um, that is being built to automate non-QM underwriting within an app to bridge the gap of, because the problem with mortgage, in my opinion, is it's a highly complicated highly specialized process, right? Yeah. So it's very difficult to obtain a mortgage. Um, it's, it's not something like you're walking into a car dealership right, right. and an hour later you're walking out with a, a car, right? Right. <laughs> there is, uh, there is uh, many, many processes involved and steps involved to execute a mortgage. When I look at FinTech, it's bridging that gap to make that, complicated process more simple yeah and so you know we've created uh, i've been involved in in a lot of startups uh, simply because when i actually look at uh, the mortgage business in in a real big picture um you know mortgage companies are are monoline companies right yeah yeah but we we are as well in its initial conception we were a monoline company doing mortgage, but, you know, to really create a, uh, my, my thought is that there needs to be a distribution model that is diversified. Right. Uh, right. And because of that, we created a retail channel, a consumer direct channel. We just recently launched, uh, an escrow and title company. And ultimately we will likely, uh, even include real estate transactions so we can create bundle services. Yeah, and and yeah. by creating bundle services, we're creating bundle value. Because I, I think there's going to be a, a total convergence at some point in our industry. And stepping in front of it and testing the models and, and creating the verticals um, will help us stay in front of, front of the times. Right. Right. Yeah, it, it does seem like, you know, getting a mortgage is a bit of a, you know, like an, like an alchemy experiment, right? <laughs> Nobody right. really knows what's sort of happening, right? <laughs> but all of a sudden, boom, something is, you know, produced. Uh, you're, you're inputting all these, you know, things into, into, the, you know, into the recipe, but, you know, you, you have no idea what is happening behind the scenes, right? I haven't heard anybody yet say, oh, my mortgage, you know, application was so easy. Like, this is the best thing ever. 
Um, that that's that hasn't happened. Um, right. These companies that you are looking to you know grow and expand also would they be available to others and even perhaps like your you know competitors uh, or or is this just for sort of the purposes of kind of growing your your enterprise? Well, in its first iteration, it will be uh, within our company. Certain certain, for example, our AI our AI company will be for our company only in its yeah. first iteration. But over time, it will likely be available to others. Yeah. Our, yeah. our escrow company is available to all. Um, our title company is available to all. Um, it, we're taking to really beta test our, our theory. We're going to run it within our, our channels, so to speak, but the idea behind it is to have it expand out into the masses. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let me let me ask you kind of a question more along the lines of sort of you know running your business. I mean, I'm I'm an entrepreneur too, so I I, I enjoy having con, con, conversations about this with others. But you know, um, your business is very transactional, right? I mean, it's it's you know right. focused on you know providing a certain service. Um, uh, but at the same time, you you know you have four hundred employees kind of scattered around the country. You know how do you how do you um, you know translate you know your energy and your ambition into into culture and you know how do you kind of get people you know excited about this right? Well, what what was that sort of you know moment that excited you when you took that internship in the summer and kind of got you hooked? You know how how do you get others to uh, be be a part of the voyage? Well, you know, I think that's the secret sauce of every company um, is whether or not there is a, a thriving culture uh, within within the people group of a company. Uh, for me, it was uh, if I took two steps back, I knew at a at a very early on in my career that I wanted to sit in the position I'm sitting at now. So I really looked at uh, all of my experiences in the industry leading up to us uh, starting up Accelerate Capital is all the good things, I kept the mental note. All the bad things, I kept the mental note. So I was really forming my own ethos of how I thought a company should run. And yeah. what, what are some of those, what are some of those examples? Yeah. So one of the things is um, because mortgage is a very siloed industry, there is guard-gated secrets in every department. Um, it's designed this way for many reasons. When I looked at it, I always felt like, at least in senior leadership, because senior leadership is needs to have the same vision, same um, outlook on how the business should be ran and how we should be managing our people. Um, I, I made senior leadership... Uh, the, the council is is very transparent. Yeah, uh, very opposite of our industry. Um, I may, may, I might, I probably over, uh, over info. I, I overstate all the very obvious and not obvious to my senior leaders because I want them. I want them to be. I want them to feel invested in in what we're actually trying to do. Um, you know, uh, mortgage. The mortgage industry is such a high stress level industry and every month we're going through these uh deadlines right so it's a monthly burn of 
of trying to hit all of our numbers on a month-to-month basis that in many ways, it's a very uh, uh, tight-knit industry. Right, uh, right. Because you're going through these very stressful uh, cycles together. You, you tend to bond well. What I wanted to do, one of the philosophies I have is breaking bread breaks barriers. It's kind of one of the things I say. Yeah. But we make it a point to have as many touch points as possible. So we have luncheons and happy hour and dinner outings that are corporately uh, funded and organized because I want there to be as much engagement as possible. That's not just related to work. Yeah. You know, you know, the philosophy is flat. If, if you and I, ate lunch together and, and we were actually talking about things outside of our work, like, you know, how your kid is, how my kid is, and, you know, our favorite sports team and whatever it may be, it starts to humanize us with one another. We're no longer looking at each other for our positions. Like, hey, I really don't like that department and Vlad is in that department, right? right. But if I know right. you actually as Vlad, then we're going to have a lot more grace with one another and and we're going to likely extend ourselves more to one another to help each other. Yeah. So uh, that's makes perfect one, sense. Yeah. 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 Well, that's one of the ways we did it. Uh, the other way is our mortgage in- industry and the real estate industry as a whole is a really dated industry. Uh, we're, you know, as of two years ago, and I don't know what it is last year, we were the most oldest industry. The average real estate professional is 52 years old. Okay. Right, <laughs> which is so, so that okay boomer really applied to the industry, right? <laughs> that, that statement, right? <laughs> so, you know, when when I was thinking about our company culture, I knew that the future of the company means that we need to have youth deployed into sure into our ecosystem. Yep, yep. So, the way we built our office uh, office space here at uh, corporate office doesn't look like a financial mortgage banking platform it looks a lot more kind of modern and hip uh you know i i kind of had my visions looking at google and facebook um we created a lot of lounge areas where people could interact and and hang out we created a, a an arcade area and a game room um and just created a lot of touch points where people can congregate and hopefully create relationships yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. And so that's one of the ways that, you know, our office space, in my opinion, is kind of a manifestation of some of the things we believe in. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's, uh, that's awesome. So as an entrepreneur, obviously, I mean, you're, you know, clearly looking at things in a sort of non-conventional way. I mean, you're, you know, building a non-conventional office, you have a you know, non-conventional product, right? If you will, right? Mm-hmm. You're, 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 you, you, you seem to be in that in that lane, right? Yeah. Um, you know, th- there must be some anecdotes from your entrepreneurial days, you know, that kind of you know shaped you guys the way you are. Um, anything you can share with us in terms of you know some kind of big kind of you know personal historical moments that were uh, you know significant to you and the organization? I have. Uh many let me think of one that's you know one of the things that uh mike thompson and i are really proud of is that we never raised capital at any point of our company's history so for all you entrepreneurs out there 
um, and st- doing startups, uh, we understand that very, very well. Yeah, yeah. And, we, and I, we, by the way, I can second that because we haven't either in our in our little business too. Right. Um, and I'm I'm a hundred percent behind that uh, you know, strategy. It, and main reason for that is we wanted the autonomy to run the business the way we felt it needed to be ran, and but. Uh, the sacrifices are are extreme, right? The the yeah. first few years of our company, we didn't turn a profit, uh, so we really had to believe in our dreams, um, and really, it was what uh, kept us going was the belief that we can build something special, and we can create a, a work environment where our friends and people we valued uh, that thought like us could thrive, right? Uh, yeah. One of the one of the good uh, kind of fun stories that Mike and I look back very fondly at now is uh, there were so many times where we thought we were going to go under, <laughs> which is not a fun thing to say, but uh, so many times you. that <laughs> I've been so there. Ta- yeah, <laughs> one uh, one time that uh, is really uh, a fond memory for me is uh, I want to say this was early on in our in our launch, probably 2016. Yeah. Um, and uh, Mike calls me into the conference room and I could tell by a spatial expression that it's not going to be good news. And he comes and says to me, Thomas, uh, I think we might go under because we're not going to make payroll on Monday. Well, the quickest way to have everyone leave and not trust that the company is going to be there is to not make <laughs> not payroll. Not make payroll, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so quickly, Mike and I are kind of thinking of, you know, our strategies, and, and eventually we're thinking we might have to unwind uh, the, the company and, and call it a day. And I was thinking about the handful of employees we had at that time. I need to help them find a job so they're not uh, unemployed for an extended period of time. And all this stuff. And then Mike comes to me and goes, you know what? I got it. I'm going to figure out how to do this, but I'm going to make payroll on Monday. And I was like, are you sure, Mike? And he goes, yeah, yeah, I'm going to make payroll on Monday. And he like stands up and, and does this great soapbox uh, talk. He basically goes, we're going to look back on this several years from now or a year from now, whenever. And we're going to fund $100 million in production. We're going to do really well. And we're going to we're going to buy outrageous Lambos to kind of commemorate this moment in time. (laughs) Right. right. And, you know, and we kind of laughed, I laughed, he laughed. And, and that Monday comes, we make payroll, you know, synergy of life. Soon thereafter, we just started taking off. And then one point he comes to me and goes, Hey, are you ready for that Lambo? And I was like, what? And he goes, remember we talked about it? And I'm like, oh, yeah. And, and we both forgot that we made all these outrageous promises to each other um, to try to keep our morale up. But when we actually hit those milestones, um, you know, it's really great to look back on. And now you look back on it really fondly. Two of the thoughts that came into my head was, A, gosh, we are – delusional people right because we have to believe in our own dreams enough to be able to weather the storm and and b probably more important for me is um 
the journey that it took us to get there to here to that milestone was so thrilling. That was more fun than actually achieving the milestone, right? Yep. It's yep. it's you know seeing our our some of our core people really thrive and grow in this environment, us being even more connected to one another, us achieving milestones together is really where the fun is. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and thinking about that story is a reminder to me that you know you are only as good as the people you have around you. And you know, we've been really fortunate because we have so many great people uh, that believed in the dream with us and that yeah. we've all kind of come to this to this level together is really gratifying. The, so so, so the did, big question is, did you get the Lambos? <laughs> well, he got the Lambo. I, I got something kind of like a Lambo. I wasn't able to get the Lambo. My wife would have uh, killed me if I rolled up in a Lambo. <laughs> you married well. You married well, Thomas, is all I can say. <laughs> you, you make sure you take care of that wife of yours. She's smart. <laughs> but great story. It, it, it's, yeah. it, it, I think it encapsulates a lot of things about an entrepreneur. And yes. if, I, yes. if I had to give, uh, you know, a nugget of wisdom to aspiring entrepreneurs or guys that just got started in, in whatever business venture that they're at is you need to control your controllables because I will guarantee you it will not go as planned, right? And it doesn't matter how good you are or how smart you think you are or how much capital you may have to start the business. Things are not going to go your way and it's going to flip your plans upside down. But you need to be able to control your controllables. What is that? Well, you need to be very realistic. You need to be optimistic. And you need to work really, really hard. Because that is the working really, really hard is the one thing you can control every day. And oftentimes, I think when startups, uh, oftentimes when, when you're doing startups, because it's so counterintuitive, counter to what you planned, it's really easy to get put in a rut mentally. And and, and you actually stop executing things that sure. you're supposed to do. Right. Sure. But you gotta continue to keep putting in the work every day because that is the one thing that you can control every day. Yeah. Thomas, you've closed that conversation beautifully. That was going to be my last question. You know, oh. a couple of nuggets of uh, advice, but uh you you perfectly summed summed it up. Thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us. Uh, this was wonderful, and I wish you guys all the best in this you know winter that's now uh, coming upon uh, your industry. We'll be we'll be curious to see how it how it how it shapes up. Thank you so much, Vlad. I really appreciate the time. Thank you for listening to the Real Perspectives podcast. Stories like these help us shape our understanding of the industry, and we appreciate you taking the time to listen to it. Please follow us on any app where you get your podcasts and tell your colleagues about us. Thank you in helping us spread the word about our work and the industry that is changing the face of business.